0: You've taken your first step into a larger world.
1: Let's go. Hello there. I'm Rowan Williams. I'm Buzz McAllister and welcome to Force Material the show that's all about the secrets and source material of Star Wars where today we are joined by a very special guest. Jake Lunt Davies is the concept artist responsible for some of the most iconic and beloved designs of the Disney Star Wars era including BB-8, the Porgs, the Caretakers, Dio, Ray's speeder, as well as cult favourites like Constable Zuvio, the Eye of Webbish Bog, and dozens of other memorable aliens, creatures and droids. Jake, thanks for joining us, mate. Hi. Uh,
0: thank you for having me.
1: Mate, uh, casting your mind as far back as you can, what was your sort of first experience with Star Wars? Do, do you remember, like, when you first sort of came across Star Wars? Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, I, 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 I was oh, six or seven, oh, what is it called? When, it first, when the first film came out, I don't think I was totally aware of it at all. I sort of lived in this little sort of rural bubble. I don't think I went to the cinema until about 1980 or something. <laughs> 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 uh, but I, we moved to, uh, when I was about, yeah, 1980, I think I moved to Sheffield, where my parents used to live, which is a big city in North, in North England. And there, like, suddenly like, everyone was like talking about Star Wars, and I was like, oh, wow, what's this? This is cool. Couldn't see the film then, of course, because, <laughs> you know, it had been out and I don't even think it was on television. So, but then Empire came out. And I do remember when going to this sort of double bill of, of Star Wars and Empire. Uh, and yeah, blown away. I mean, that was it, you know. I just just loved it and um, drew a lot. I never really... I, I used to love all the little... The little Little action figures, you know, had quite a lot of those. Never could afford any spaceships or anything like that. So I used to make a lot. Uh, I used to have access to a lot of uh, brown corrugated cardboard and packing tape, which would be made into, I don't know why, I seem to have a lot of it at home. <laughs> <laughs> I had cardboard boxes and stuff. I used to make a lot of, I don't know, my own spaceships. I used to make Boba Fett helmets. I had a skateboard helmet, which I would cover in... You know, cardboard and make little sort of gadgets. A lot of cardboard making stuff, uh, which I think, in, in hindsight, was probably kind of quite good. I mean, I, I think you know, the more you can sort of uh, create uh, and play with your sort of limited things available, it's probably quite good in the long run. So I don't mind looking back. I'm not. Uh, I'm not sad that I could never have that Millennium Falcon. <laughs> Were you, were you the type Hi. of
1: kid? Sorry.
2: I was going to say, I, I recall doing a lot of the same things as a kid. Polystyrene was my medium. You know, I used oh. to create Hoth bases out of polystyrene <laughs> and yeah. yeah, hack things to pieces. But um, can you remember what sort of stuff you were drawing as a kid? And, and uh, were you always designing your own aliens and vehicles on paper at that time as well as you know building these craft projects?
0: Yeah. I, mean, I, I draw for Yeah, my parents are kind of arty. My family's arty. You know, I've had access to paper and pens from day one sort of thing so i have drawn and drawn and drawn my big thing was a kid I mean I I used to be I used to want to be a car designer when I was a kid I used to have cars and cars and cars and yeah I suppose that would then spaceships so yeah I'd seen Star Wars and yeah it sort of turned into a lot of spaceships and a lot of helmets and and cool sort of characters whether I drew aliens specifically I'm not entirely I I don't think it was, it was more cool Boba Fett type guys, <laughs> <sort of> <laughs> uh, and then also sort in my you know early eighties, I got into sort of role playing games, something sort of you know D and D and Traveller, which is a sort of sci-fi version and Green Quest. And again, I used to love sort of painting. Or I used to go to like Games Workshop and get all these little the little lead miniatures and spend hours, I spent more time just making stuff up, like drawing <laughs> maps, and more more sort of painting little miniatures and drawing maps than ever playing the game, really, and creating these worlds that we could all play in, but never really kind of got around to doing that much. So there's a lot of, uh, I, you know, I used to love reading, uh, there was a magazine called White Dwarf, which was like, uh, I think now it's yeah. what, it was like totally Warhammer 40k or something, but in the 70s and 80s it was this sort of big role-playing game you know covered everything from Dungeons and Dragons you know everything and I used to love that and got very inspired by I suppose like the artwork at the time you know the sort of cover art and all the sort of fantasy art that you get in there so that was also very inspiring at the time even Thread the Barbarian totally Thread the Barbarian (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) I remember hearing those Chris Achilles covers and that sort of thing. Were, yeah, well, I think I wrote to White Wolf once and said, "Could I?" Like uh, I submitted some artwork. They said, "Thanks, no thanks." <laughs> 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 Come back to a year's time when you're better. So they were very nice about it. They were very nice. <laughs> yeah, I think I sent. I think I. I think I actually sent them some. Some guy on a sort of, I remember a sort of speeder. Yeah, it looked like a. Like a, uh, Return of the Jedi speeder bike sort of with Boba Fett (laughs) by (laughs) the (laughs) way now at the time I thought it was brilliant now it just looks like so yeah so you
1: were inspired by like those fantasy artists things like that I mean as you kind of got into you know graphic design like you know as you got your graphic design degree that kind of thing as you got into concept art in your own right like what, what what kind of artists inspired you like who were the people you sort of looked up to I guess
0: I don't know, this is the tricky question that I think, you know, I hear people, this the, the big one, because I know a lot of people can spout this stuff off and go, <laughs> hey, I was massively, I, I have to rack my brains. There's you know, so many things have just sort of seeped into my, I don't think I ever sort of looked at an artist and thought, oh, "You yeah, know, that is the artist, you know, I, I don't think I could sort of pick three artists and go, these are the guys, that I find the most inspiring ever and I've ever looked up to in a sort of heroic um, I can sort of pick out like, hundreds of different things that I know have inspired me you know and mm. you know so I mean yeah you know, I love sort of like I mean Brian Froud I think is intense you know a huge inspiration even though at the time I probably didn't even really know who he was but you know mm. if,
1: just the work uh, that he was doing
0: Exactly, and you, know, you uh, just uh, I was aware of his work. aside, you know, aside from the films, the Labyrinth and and uh, Dark Crystal, you know, I, I I'd see books, I'd see his art. I probably didn't know his name, but I thought well, they were brilliant. You know, they are really inspiring, and I loved all that sort of stuff. And um, I thought, it was sort of growing up, I loved, I loved things like kind of. I, you know, I read a lot. I read, you know, I read Lord of the Rings. Just reading Lord of the Rings is inspiring enough. And I love the, Ra- or the ba- Ralph Bakshi uh, cartoon when that came out. I love Dune and I read Dune before the film. I think, yeah, I must have read that about, I don't know, well before the film came out. So I must have been quite young. Mm. Uh, Again, yeah, love the book, hugely inspired by the sort of images that they created. Um, and then the film, I love, you know, the film's kind of back. <laughs> I love and hate film. <laughs> I mean, it's just insanely, it's terrible in some parts, but absolutely amazing, you know, styling and, and production design. I, I know, crazy thing, I, I used to love Harry Houser movies, and I used to love uh, mythology. I was massively into Greek mythology as a kid, and I used to love Japanese mythology, and you know, all those crazy, crazy spirits that, that, that lived in, you know, in, in Japan, lived all, everywhere, you know, the Shinto religion. Have these sort of insane spirits lurking in every sort of inanimate object mm. you know, out and steal your children and all that sort
1: of thing. <laughs> if Japanese mythology, I mean, like when we when we talked to uh, Phil Shostak a few episodes ago, he sort of yeah. mentioned, like, he mentioned, you know, Miyazaki, Studio Ghibli as as big influences on sort of the creature designers at Lucasfilm. I mean, are you a fan of his work in particular?
0: I yeah, I mean, if you know, talk about that eye of Werbish Folk, I know that people have looked at it and gone. Yeah, they said to me, Oh yeah, it's quite quite kinda of studio Ghibli, isn't it? I yeah, I suppose it is. But and again, it's not like I've sort of consciously thought that and go, I love Miyazaki, I'm gonna take a little bit of that. But it probably has had an influence. Yeah. So I didn't sort of say no, it, you know, I don't think I ever said it's Miyazaki influence. I think people looked at it and could see that and that's mm. good. Uh, yeah, again, I mean, the, the the Studio Ghibli stuff, I probably never, you know, I I did not seen any of that until I had a kid and we would watch, um, you know, all the Studio Ghibli stuff together. Prior to that, I don't think I'd ever bothered watching any. Um, but totally, you know, amazing inspiring stuff, you know, spiritual players. Mm. Yeah, chunks of that have been, I'll, I'll probably seeped into my head. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, I'll just go back to, you know, again, influences. so many things, I suppose, that have all, over the years, just seeped in. And, you know, I love sort of all the sort of French-Belgian comics, you know, stuff like Tintin, mm-hmm. uh, Gaston. Lucky. I used to live in France for a little bit when I was a kid, so I used to go and buy all these, these, these you know, books. <laughs> <laughs> I just used to love looking at pictures like Spirou and uh, Lucky Luke and Gaston. I loved an Asterix, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Tintin, Mobius, obviously massive influence. But I always love that sort of lean, Claire style. And every so often, I can, I'd love, I'd love to be able to draw like that, and I can't. <laughs> 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 i it's just stunning, and and I've sort of realized I, I, I don't know, I I lose a lot of energy in the transfer. And when I draw, I'm very loose. I love pencil work, and uh, uh, as soon as I start to try and draw pen line over it, it just Dies and I, I don't know how to do
2: it. I can definitely see a little bit of 2000 AD style in your art as well, oh. and maybe a little bit of Tank Girl, Jamie Hewlett uh, style. Yeah,
0: I mean, yes, I think again, that's another thing. Yeah, 2000 AD never really bought it. I'd sort of flip through friends' copies. I used to, yeah, always love that sort of. Uh, uh a lot of the artwork. Uh I did buy tank I used to buy deadline quite a lot when I was on foundation. I used to love yeah, Jamie hewlett's art is he is quite inspirational. i have mm. about that, so thanks for reminding me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as it's grows as well, you know, when you go into the all the gorillas, stuff, it's brilliant. Mm. Again, that's the amazing line work. And again I love you know industrial design and I love Car design, I love Jajaro and Gandini, and um, I love stuff that like Scott Robertson does, Sidney did, Loey, Frank Stevenson, who did the, you know, again, I was watching something quite recently an interview with Frank Stevenson, who's like, uh, he designed the Mini, the the new Mm. Mini, not not the Sigonis Mini, and I didn't really realize this, the, the new Mini, he's inspired by a little British bulldog and simply the way the, the, way the sort of uh, front bumper extends by a couple of inches is like the underbite of a bulldog, you know, like a cartoon bulldog. Yeah, right. I love that sort of cross-pollination of of biology and sort of the things around you being, you know, inspiring. You know, this is a car inspired by nature, and I think in a way I've sort of hopefully done something similar with, yeah, I see quite a lot of inspiration in, in just the stuff around me really and it, it can seep into into even you know the robot design so from bio mm. nature so I found that quite inspiring so yeah, it's a, a kind of wide-ranging sources of inspiration.
1: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned like t- being inspired just by the things around you, because like that was another thing that Phil touched on. Is like everybody thinks of Star Wars as like it's sci-fi, it's futuristic, et cetera. But like when you when you really look at it, it's mostly drawing on like you know the real world and things that actually exist and just putting like a little twist on things like it's not so much inspired by the future as so much as you know history and 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 like the natural world and and things that we already have on on earth
0: yeah totally and i think uh, it's that sort of it makes it sort of subconscious. Sort of, i think from a sort of audience point of view there's a subconscious ah uh, i don't believe, i just it makes you kind of just believe it you know it's not it's not crazy alien sort of wow! I don't understand this this thing. <laughs> There's a sort of <laughs> grounded reality, even if even if you don't know, you can't put your finger on it. You sort of it's believable because you can recognize elements of it. I suppose, mm. um, and I think that's what makes it sort of be- you know so believable. You're in a very believable relate- yeah, relatable. You can sort of relate to that world.
1: Yeah. So for you, I mean, going back to, I guess, like how you kind of got your start in the industry I mean, you you, you you got your graphic design degree, like what were your first sort of early, you know, jobs after after that?
0: Yeah, I was kind of aimless. Uh, by the time I started a graphic design degree, I didn't kind of know what I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to do something artistic and I sort of vaguely... Just thought that 'll be everyone does graphic design that 'll work <laughs> 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 i, I don 't know I thought it was a, a a job you know, and it was like I liked some graphic designers, and I liked the idea and I did the course, and i wasn 't that blown away with it and, and realized i wasn 't going to be uh, an amazing graphic designer, and i didn 't want to work in magazines and it was a bit boring unless I was to mm-hmm. you
3: know
0: unless I was designing the logo for some amazing company, I probably wasn 't going to get the satisfaction I thought I would. And then after I left that course, I I don't know. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, really. And then somebody this is uh, somebody said, uh, hey, uh, I've got they had a job working as a runner on a TV show. And they, and they said, do you want to be a runner? I'm, yeah, I've got nothing better to do. Yes. And yeah, I always liked the idea of working film when I was a kid. Um, I, I just didn't really know how to do it or go about doing it. really. <laughs> yeah, it was a, that's Hollywood, you know. I, I'm, I'm an English kid living in the country or whatever. I, I don't know what to do. I it was a, I didn't really appreciate that it was probably something I should have, I, I could have done. So at the time, I, I sort of put it to one side. And when I left college, I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And then I realised, wow, this is great. I, 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 you know, it was quite exciting. I worked on very terrible, terrible TV shows. Um, terrible TV show as a runner and art, very cheap. Uh, It was very good because we kind of got slightly exploited. It meant you could sort of progress uh, slightly quickly. (laughs) So this company, um, you know, they were brilliant in the fact that you could be, uh, I mean, within a year, I think I was art directing a TV show. (laughs) (laughs) Insane, getting paid nothing, but it was a really, really cool learning curve. So for the first sort of I, yeah the nineties, I, I thought this is I'm gonna I, I'm gonna be a production designer. That was my goal. I thought this is I thought this is what I'm gonna do, and I I, I got into art departments and I sort of you know, it's all I've met a lot of people as you work through you do one job you meet a bunch of people, and then you sort of end up working on a, another job with them, and it's this exponential thing where your sort of network just kind of grows and people then call you up and. I think within, ignoring the fact I'd art directed a TV show uh, a year after I started running, which really wasn't, there was nothing really. I kind of did actually go through uh, several years of working my way up properly. Uh <laughs> sort of going, <laughs> I, you know, I was an assistant art director, then an art director on TV commercials uh, and pop videos uh uh, yeah, I loved it. I loved being on set. I loved, you know, I, we, I do all sorts of things in those years, like model making. Uh, I think I, every so often, I thought, oh, I really want to get into film. And I try, and I sort of cold call people, and I try and go to see people at Pinewood. And I think I did, I, I got onto the art department on um, Cold Lazarus, which was a Dennis Potter science fiction, uh, sort of TV film series, I think. And little things like that. Think, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, yeah, I've done it. I've done it. I'm at Pinewood, and then nothing, and then that would all go away. So, but the the art, the the commercial side of stuff was really growing, and I, I, yeah, that was very very successful. So, I probably focused more of my job, my efforts towards you know maintaining the work in the commercial sector, uh, and it's great. Commercials are sort of. You know, on the one hand, that you can work on some rubbish. But on the other hand, you get to... You know, you can work on some really cool commercials making these amazing sets, which are just sort of insane. And they only last, like, a month or a few weeks. So even if they're rubbish, they're, they're gone. And if, I think it's a huge <laughs> turn. You're not so sort of locked into this sort of, you know, terrible project, if it is terrible. Um And there's just multiple projects, and it was very exciting. Uh From there, I... Weird, this is a bit of a back. I don't know, it might seem a bit backward. But I actually then got into storyboarding because one of the directors I worked for, she, she could see I could draw, and she was like, Oh, hey, do you want to storyboard my, my commercial? I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, then. and it was yeah, quite a scary thing. And it got to the point where I think I don't know, it was about 97. Then I just didn't so much. I mean, that just grew and grew and grew. I just did so, to the point where I thought, I don't want to this art directing production design businesses is. I thought that I'm going to be a. I'm going to be a storyboard artist now because <laughs> it was. It was just insane. I mean, I was just getting so much work, and it's slightly less stressful than production design is quite stressful because you've got to manage massive budgets and people mm. and sets and you know. Hey, it's good, but it is stressful, and you get. And I was getting. Yeah, I was getting paid. Yeah, as a production guy I put in like twice as much work. That I get paid for just to get it done. It was mm. uh, storyboarding came along. It's like this is easy. I just yeah, just bang, 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 <laughs> good job. Uh, so I, I kind of really started to focus on that. And then um, in the course, uh, I think about 1999, I got a, the, the company that had originally employed me as a, a runner. They got back in touch and said, "Oh look, we've got this pilot's kids' TV show we want to do, and you do the character design for it." and the art direction. And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. They'd engaged Neil Scanlon to do the uh, to do the build of these puppets, which I was going to design. So that's how I met Neil, which is about 1999. And there, that, that pilot didn't really go anywhere. Uh, but I did meet Neil and ended up working with Neil for about four or five years. At the same time, I was doing a lot of storyboarding for commercials, and that was my goal. Well, I'm doing a lot of stuff with Neil. And we worked on like, like kid shows. I did something called The Roly Mo Show. We worked on a, another, I did some designs for a Canadian, uh, so sort a of, sort of puppet show called Don't Eat the Neighbors, which which was quite fun. And then I did Charlie the Chocolate Factory with Neil. I thought this is again going back to my oh, this is it. I made it. I'm in film. We're back at Pinewood. And I thought I would put <laughs> the door, and, and then thereafter, it kind of didn't really happen, really, because at the time, I think. Neil, you yeah, know, the whole animatronics world, which Neil, you yeah, know, Neil came out of um, Jim Henson's and, and he, he used to come out, he, that's where his, his history is. And he'd sort of gone it alone, he'd done Babe and was writing on the success of Babe, but, but animatronics was sort of in this sort of wane of, of popularity mm. I was unfortunate enough to be sort of on the end of as well. So really after Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I think, There was this sort of massive lull and Neil just decided I think think he ended up doing a lot more sort of special makeup effects and prosthetics which didn't really involve my skills. So our paths sort of diverged and uh, I think Neil effectively kind of retired for a while and I went off and did my thing, I was storyboarding and then I, this is where I then I, from storyboarding, I started to direct and I was directing. I used to work on this for this company called the Viral Factory, and we do these n- mental, sort of like viral ads in the sort of early 2000s. Um, a lot for Samsung. I did so many sort of stupid, little, funny things, but you know, stuff that would go on YouTube and get like 10 million hits of Samsung. <laughs> uh, so, our uh, storyboarding that you know, this company sort of said. Hey, you storyboarded loads for us. Do you want to direct? So yeah, I'd love to direct. So I directed for them for a while. And then I was off, I I was signed by a production company to direct commercials. I thought, yeah, ka-ching, I'm I'm going to be a commercials director. (laughs) (laughs) And that was my goal. This was like in 2012. So and then for a year, I think I did a couple of commercials for this company and then in 2013 Having not spoken to Neil for about seven years, I think, just, you know, he suddenly phoned me up and went, hey, Jake, it's Neil. And I went, oh, hello. And he goes, guess what? What? And he goes, I've got Star Wars.
3: I was <laughs> <laughs> like, wait,
0: I think I said more than that. I think I said, so. beatings." Uh, and uh, he asked if I'd like to, you know, be on board. And I did. Uh, <laughs> My history. <laughs> <laughs> so again, the whole commercials directing thing—that's gone. You know, I, I have I've escaped. I that had to sort of just solve that. I mean, I'm going to work on Star Wars. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's,
3: that's
0: very fair. Very
1: fair. Yeah. So, so you're at Lucasfilm. I mean. Like, I suppose everyone sort of has a rough idea of like, well, we know that the concept artists come up with these amazing concepts and it's just magic. It just happens. And, you know, I guess people don't really sort of know how that works. I mean, how does the Creature concept team sort of work? Like, would you often work together with other designers? Do you go off? Are you sort of in silos working on your own, you know, concepts? (laughs) Like, how does that
0: work? Well, I mean, first of all, Neil Neil wanted to very specifically get a, a, a specific Creature concept team that it was under his umbrella, rather because I, I think a lot of times art departments might generate lots of other things for other productions. But as Neil practically had to make this stuff, I think he wanted to have some control. So he's, he, he, you know, w- we had our specific creature concept team uh, initially, and basically the core team was uh, me, Luke Fisher, Martin Rezard and Ivan Manzella, mm-hmm. and. We all work in a room, and uh, there's different things in terms. Of, I mean, there's the art department, concept guys. There's the there's the, the, the costume concept people. There's the concept people in, in at ILM and Lucasfilm. So there's these pools of art department uh, concept artists all generating ideas. And I think for the big things, like say, for instance, one. My first task when I was asked to join was to get involved with Maz and who's a key character Uh, and something like Maz or Kylo Ren or or Mother Proxima for instance for Solo or these big sort of you know key characters quite often they will be explored by quite a lot of different departments you know they'll Mm -hmm. throw everyone at it just to see what what comes out of it so even if you know Maz is essentially going to be uh well She shouldn't have big cg but for, for she was she was always going to be a a, a, a puppet which she was in uh, the last film but uh for instance even though it was a creature department thing everyone had a go at it kylo Ren, even it was a costume thing everyone had a go at it for the other stuff the your basic sort of background sort of everything else that just tends to be us sitting there and just making stuff up. And we get quite a lot of free reign, um, either, you know, say for instance, on force awakens. So quite soon after we'd been given the mass brief, which wasn't, uh, a very big brief, <laughs> very limited. <laughs> She's a kind of wise old woman, a bit like as they, as, as, as JJ may have said, um, I think based on, influenced by a teacher. that he Yeah. Was, but we weren't given any access or hints more than the fact that she was a teacher at his school. He wouldn't. Well, that wouldn't. was
1: the strange part. It's a teacher that both, I think it's that him and Rick Carter both had yeah, this teacher separately.
0: He's apparently an amazing, inspirational teacher. Um, mm. But I think a lot of us were just trying to just sort of hit something that they would respond to, go, that's it. But we were never given like a picture of her or anything like that. <laughs> we were just given <laughs> a few clues. Um, again, some of the, a lot of the briefs are just very minimal. You know, it's like, yeah, they, they, uh, she, he, Kylo Ren. I can't remember the brief with Kylo Ren. Um, they're just minimal sort of one word. To, yeah, a sentence is your brief. And then you go away. And they might feed you another sentence. It's a very organic thing. Uh, after I started on Maz, the second thing we worked on was uh, background characters to go in Jakku, and uh, I think uh, the brief was uh, scavengers, or desert scavengers. You know, and it's like, and maybe they <laughs> said uh, we'd all sit around have a conversation with JJ and the director yeah, and, and the production, and they sort of said, yeah, yeah, we're looking for. I think the, the mood was to you know, with the Force Awakens trying to sort of be, I suppose, a little bit referential to the. Uh, New Hope, the original mm. Star Wars film. Yeah, it needed to have elements of, 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 you know, you wanted to feel that they could have popped up in that world, I suppose, as well. So mm. that was the brief, really. Scavenger, Desert Scavengers, could could feel quite Star wars There's your brief. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's it. And it's great. You go away and you just draw loads of things, which, which, um, which you think are quite cool, and we'd then... Uh, what happens is that then we'll generate, you know, maybe we'll spend a week or two weeks generating a whole a whole load of ideas, and we then have these big meetings where we stick everything on a wall or on a big presentation slideshow. Mm. Generally, we like to do it on paper on a wall, and the director can then see everything, and uh, he'll walk along and just, you know, tick off things that appeal, and this mm. this it's effectively like this pyramid of choice will happen where. We, you can sort of see things that he likes there's still way too many that'll ever ever get made but yeah you, know, you can see the things that he likes and they'll get into the sort of the B list and then you'll start refining the b list you might throw in some more uh, things will fall out other things will get added and this sort of pyramid will grow you know so it of get narrower and narrower till you get to the sort of final choices which is sort of based on practicalities and budgets really it's like well we can afford X amount of aliens. Uh, simply because it takes that amount of time and energy and money to build X amount of aliens, you know. So, mm. hey, you can have 20 aliens for this this scene. Or, you know, overall, you've got, like, 70, but, you know, how they portion them is is quite sort of logistically driven, I suppose. Mm. They all have to have more, but there's only a certain amount of time it can, we've got and money to build all this stuff. So
2: There's, um, there's great, great footage of um, George Lucas going along that wall uh, yeah. In the prequels documentaries, you know, with his two different colors of pen, yeah. marking off what he likes and what he doesn't. What's JJ's preferred method of
0: uh, say, of two
2: pens as well? No,
0: I think I think Katie, the supervisor, or one of the somebody will follow around and just post it notes are a bit popular, well, yeah, stick yeah. Different color post it notes, uh, and little stickers, little po- colored stickers, um, and little stars getting scribbled on if they're really super good. <laughs> yeah, i it notes. And then we have to quickly go in there and photograph the member things so that we don't forget which ones he... If they fall off.
1: <laughs> Once one of your designs is chosen, like, is yes. that, you know, is that the end of your work or are you then still sort of involved in like the build of the character after that as it goes through the various, you know, departments?
0: No, t- yeah, we stay really involved and I think that's why Neil wanted to have this team... As part of the, 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 the his team, yeah, no, we sort of end up art directing anything that is essentially becomes our design. It's kind of weird, uh, you know. Sometimes you can be working quite closely with somebody else, but you, you know, you something will become your design and your responsibility simply because you just nailed it at the end. Mm. Even though there's a lot of influences from other people, I suppose. Um, Anyway, you you then take responsibility of it. And then, yeah, you'll kind of then we we liaise with the sculptors. It goes to the sculpting team first. And they'll either, you know, we've got a lot of this core group of actors and performers and will sculpt over um, casts of their heads. Um, It's kind of good because I'm very aware that, you know, I do everything in 2D. And there's this huge difference, or this thing happens. You can draw something in 2D, and then as soon as you make it 3D, it's like, oh, God, it's just, oh, it doesn't work. <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> Problems, or, or things can develop in 3D, good and bad, um, you know, but it's a part of the process, and then you can then refine that design in 3D, because what you drew in 2D is actually enormous in 3D. 3D always adds this, you just kind of forget the volume, actually, you know uh, it, it just sort of makes things really big and you end up making things a little bit smaller than you drew them just to make it look nice uh so it's a great sort of way of of developing the design and the designs do you know develop a lot in that process with the help and skills of the sculptors I and mean, they're just and honestly the sculptors are just like yeah amazing and when you when you see your design sort of becoming so I, I did uh, Aloasty, yeah, mm-hmm. the the pilot, who's an mm-hmm. abbey, I can't even pronounce his name. And that was just like, uh, the sketch was nothing. It was a, such a sort of loose sketch. And then Martin mm-hmm. uh, Rizard, who's also one of the concept artists, but he's also an amazing sculptor, he did the first interpretation, which was that big hauler guy. He's in jacquot, he's got a big yellow... Uh, mm. Um, he's dragging something across. Uh, Who is a sort of giant version of one of the? Yeah, they they, they sort of come in all sorts of shapes and sizes, and he was actually one of these characters. And yeah, he just transposes this sort of nothing sketch. You know, it's like a loose little doodle into this sort of beautiful, organic. <laughs> it's just like, oh wow, yeah. So, yeah, they, they, they it's amazing. So yeah, anyway, sculpting, and then. It, but as you sculpt, as the thing is being really sculpted, the animatronics guys are also involved because they also have to pack in, you know, if they want things to happen and things to move, you've got to accommodate this. So mm-hmm. they are also involved whilst the sculpt is happening to sort of make sure that they're creating something which can accommodate, uh, I'm pointing up to my head here, the sort of servo, yeah, you know, a lot of these things are packed with servo motors and... and mechanics and they just need to know there's the room to put what they need to put in there and maybe sometimes you have to sort of tweak it a little bit to accommodate a certain amount of space between the performer's head uh you know the interior and the exterior might just need need to sort of allow for certain uh, mechanical elements but i have to say quite frankly the the, the the more time goes on the more these guys just get better and better just cramming this stuff in anywhere really Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you also, you, in the sculpt stage, you, you, you accommodate the, I don't know, things just like where they look from, you know, how, they, how the performer can see. So, again, going back to Aloasty, I always thought, you yeah, know, the idea was that he would look through his nostrils. His nostrils are the eye holes for the performer. But mm-hmm. it's only a sculpt that you can actually place those precisely to line up with the, Uh, cast of the performer so that sort of level of tweaking happens in the sculpt and the mechanics Um, it's cool, really cool and then it goes to fabrication and they build all their sort of undersuits and costume and then you, yeah, we we attend all these costume meetings and we, costume will put their spin on it quite often uh, quite often they'll take inspiration from what we do you know because we draw the whole body and they mm. have quite liberty to do what they like with costume and change it if they like and quite often they do and they do it for the best but you know sometimes they don't and they 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 take on board what we do you know like say for instance i did the costume for uncle Plut. you know mm-hmm. they kept that and um that got you know I think they made it, but they certainly sort of used our, our drawings for, for, for it. So it's cool when that happens. So, yeah, you can have some input into the costume. Like if it's hiding certain parts of of your design. You can just bring the neck down so we can see a little bit of <laughs> <laughs> cool design. So, yeah, you, you sort of art direct it all the way through, really. So over the course of, yeah, as we're designing through, through this sort of production process, pre-production process which could be several months we're designing stuff and presenting stuff to the directors we're also art directing and stuff which has been chosen but continuing to sort of design new stuff and then so you'll be sort of jumping backwards and forwards between stuff which is you're currently presenting stuff which is currently being made and then a sculptural. coming oh what are the hands like for this guy oh, i haven't even done the hands oh, after the day, you have to stop it <laughs> Design the hands very quickly, or design uh, you know, what does his ears look like, or what the, uh, at least little details then need addressing, or what does his helmet look like? Um, and then you end up doing lots of eyes, eye designs. Crikey, do a lot of eye designs. <laughs> Get really into the sort of finer, what are his teeth like? Oh, I don't know, I haven't thought of that yet. Um, <laughs> so then they quickly go and draw some, I don't know, a few sets of teeth, then we choose one. And They'll go away and sculpt the teeth and mm. mouth interiors. It's all down to the, you know, the, the, the detail is just insane. Really. So, yeah. And it all goes on even through, even when they start filming, there's still stuff happening further down the line. So you haven't finished everything because you know, they'll start filming before, you know, the, the first batch and the second batch is still getting finished off. So, mm ongoing really mm.
2: i find what you said about uh elo really interesting you know the idea that you you were conscious there was going to be a performer in there and you were trying to noodle out ways to to work that out is that something that you you do keep in mind when you're doing your initial designs or do you just let your mind ramble and come up with the most out there stuff you can and go look it's someone else's problem to get a person into this suit i don't I care. Think
0: we're always yeah i mean it's, i think it's always at the back of our minds that i know we've got to make this stuff um, it doesn't stop you from going nuts a couple of times, you know, you think <laughs> yeah, this is a cool design and then maybe we can find a way around uh, how to address it. But I think a lot of the time, yeah, there's a lot of consciousness I think of thinking, mm-hmm. how is this practically going to be possible? Um, it's got to fit on someone's head. You know, I think scale is the thing. You're always aware that somebody's got to be in this suit. Uh, not always. I mean obviously we do puppet little puppets and we do big puppets and things like that. Um but yeah it, it is quite a conscious thing, I suppose, uh, to accommodate uh, a performer. But then there's also tweaking that performer, yeah. You know, how can you push the boundaries of that performer? How can you uh yeah, like we'd say or Joe or you know, get a performer in but but not. <laughs> I mean there's not an app there. <laughs> Uh, which is always good fun, you know, trying to sort of come up with ideas to sort of, you know, whether they go on stilts. Um, uh, the, I mean, there, there was one performer we had, Derek, um, who unfortunately passed away think, a couple of years ago. And Derek was a, a double amputee. He had, uh, again, meningitis. He was a, he used to be a tree surgeon. And he was cast uh, in Solo, I think. He was this giant robot that uh, Luke had designed and because he was a double amputee at the knee, he could have these, they, we made him these in, amazing sort of like carbon fiber uh, Extensions to his, uh, you know, he normally had these legs, you know, um, artificial prosthetic legs But we made him new legs, which were about three foot, so the shin was about three foot long, four foot long So he was overall, he, was, he stood about ten foot tall <laughs> and uh, it was it, very. I was totally inspired by this, so I thought this is brilliant. So I, I, I wanted him to play this character, which I he it was a character I wanted in the casino. Uh, he's kind of got horse-like, he looks like Scooby Doo, a dog, horse-like face <laughs> in the casino, and um, and I gave him these really amazingly skinny legs, like he was wearing these sort of riding boots, uh, but he had just impossibly skinny uh lower legs yeah you know, and mm. he was about ten foot two. i basically nicked the idea uh from luke who'd done this robot but thought let's use this as a as a as a um, uh, an alien mm. so he would you know, the idea was you'd look at the guy and think well, how how, is, how <laughs> have you done you know like, yeah, where's his legs i love that sort of you know um uh, the, the the potential you get from 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 yeah. I mean the guy, you yeah, know, he obviously lost his legs, but the fact he could we could make this creative use of that was just mm. inspiring. And he loved it. I mean it was brilliant. Um he he loved being in those roles and towering over everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: It's funny, like, you you being, like, involved at, at all those different stages of the process, like, is there any is there any point where you, like, what's the stage of the process where you sort of step back and go, like, oh, hey, cool, that thing that I designed is, like, there it is, it's, it's you know, it's come to life. Like, is that when you see the movie? Like, when do you sort of get that separation, I guess, from the from the design?
0: I mean, I, I don't tend to go on set much. Once they take it on set and the puppeteers and the performers are doing their thing, it's kind of then beyond your control, you know, it's like you, mm. read and it goes in the direction it goes, it gets shot, it doesn't get shot, it gets edited, you know, it it, it doesn't make it into the film. Um, yeah, I, I, that's it, job done. At that point, when you, when it's sort of, when you've presented it to the director at the end, we have these big things called show and tells, which are quite theatrical, and Neil likes to put on this big show where, the performance and, and JJ will come along and see it all and go yeah brilliant and he gives him ideas of where to put things and I suppose that's it really at that point that's that's the your work done and, uh, and the way it goes and it's always nice to see a toy version and I think then I think yeah everyone says we've I mean, asked before is it amazing to see your stuff on screen and it is amazing to see your stuff on screen but I think what's more amazing is when you see it beyond the screen because you kind of know you're, you're working on a film you know what your job is that's that's the point of what we do but when then you see a toy version that's really cool and then when you see a kid wearing a t-shirt with your design on it that's really that's even cooler because that's like yeah. that's like a toy you know it's obviously it's then gone beyond the scene where it, it means something to somebody else you know and that has, wants to wear uh, wants to wear a pork t-shirt. You know, I thought, wow, that's amazing. And then even the best thing is is when people is fan art and uh cosplay. You know, when people actually go to the effort, even if it's just drawing a picture of a pork, I love you know, I think, wow, you've really sort of touched it's gone, it's gone, it's transcended everything, I suppose. And it's got to the point where this is like what I was doing when I was a kid, I was drawing Stormtroopers or Boba Fett or creating my own stuff. But, you know, drawing a Darth Vader. And now was another kid doing exactly the same thing that I was doing. And that, I think that's the best thing. It's gone beyond the films and it's become part of this sort of like um, psyche, national, you know, it's ingrained into people's, it's, it's, it's part of the Star Wars legacy. It's, it's just mm. amazing. That's the best thing. <laughs> and one of those, one of
1: those designs. I mean, that that has become like part of the psyche, the part of the culture. I mean, yeah. BB-8 is probably probably fair to say the most iconic design from the sequel trilogy. I mean, yeah. what was can you can you remember like what the brief you were given was for BB-8 and and sort of how you know that became the character that we know and love today?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I can't take you know, I mean, I have had a huge input into BB-8. But obviously, he—I think he—he—he's—it he, he comes from multiple sources. It's not just me. There's a lot of other people involved, I suppose, in why he looks like he does now. And obviously, JJ Abrahams wanted a rolling ball droid, and he drew a
1: on a, on a napkin, right?
0: Yeah, a post-it note with a little sort of—you know—it's just a circle with a little dome. Yeah, you know, that's the essence of BB-8. And then uh, Christian Altzman, who is at Lucasfilm, he developed BB 8 quite a lot and before I started working on it uh, and did a, a lot of designs. Which you're looking at, you know, anyone looking at go, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, that's, that looks like BB 8. You, know, you can see you know, BB 8 there. Mm. A lot of those designs, I don't know, when the production then moved and set up in the UK, and Neil was going to be the guy to build this thing, and he, we were the team. I'm not sure why I was put on it, particularly. Uh, I was. And uh, yeah, at the time, you know, it wasn't quite right as a designer, as far as JJ was concerned. Were just, it just, he wanted more somebody else to have another crack at it, so I was given this role of having another crack at it. I did. Pages and pages, some which didn't make it, some which yeah, and then the the, the elements did. Whilst I was drawing this, and I'm, I think one of the things that that if you've seen any of Christian's work is, I mean, the stuff that carried over. I think is obviously Christian set the tone, the colour scheme mm-hmm. with JJ. I mean, I wasn't privy to that, but from that design phase, you've got the colour scheme, a lot of you know, some of the details carried over. Like I think. The eye design kind of carried over, a lot of the, uh, I say the body was a lot fussier, a lot sort of more detailed, and and that wasn't quite sort of locking JJ's boat, and he wanted sort of more development. I think that the face was looking a little bit anthropomorphic. Mm. Uh, so I sort of just basically took it back a bit more to R two D two really, just sort of. Try to bring more of the art you know, like it was more of a sort of step up from r2 than perhaps it, when i was giving it it was like way ahead and this is like a step back towards r2 so a lot of the panel designs are influenced by the sort of how r2 sort of got these big chunks of color or panel cutouts whilst i was drawing a lot brian herring the lead puppeteer had been brought on because he was going to be direct uh puppeteering v8 and Josh Lee, who was, he's like an uh, animatronic designer, was being tasked to make this thing. So mm. between me drawing it and and uh, Brian and Josh sort of thinking about the practicalities of it, they were sort of, yeah, you know, we, we created this this sort of mock-up of a very small idea of how it would work, which was basically a sort of small polystyrene ball about the size of uh, a, a UK soccer ball sort of thing and with a little miniature head on top. Nothing on it at all, but it had this stick coming out of it and it showed the principles of how the puppeteer would move the ball around mm. and how that would be attached to the, to the whole, because you know, the whole thing is sort of attached in, uh, uh, and they remove a lot of it in post in terms of the rods. And from that, as we, we sort of draw on this ball to sort of try different ideas, We realized, I suppose, that that as you roll this around, the bigger your pattern design is, and the more sort of striking and bold your patterns are, the more it reads still when it's moving fast. So the smaller and fussier they are, Mm. the more it would would blur into a sort of just a grey mush, right? Whereas if you've got like a big block, you can still, even though it's whizzing by and it's still blurry, you still get a sense that there is a pattern. So Mm -hmm. that really helps to start practically playing with movement. Also, we realized that having this sort of, you know, we ended up doing this sort of six-sided, you know, there are six circles on the the ball. And we realized that they, you know, it's quite tidy sort of three-dimensional shape. Uh, In a way, it sort of helps. It's a very set, defined pattern. Because the way it's constructed, the, effectively, the ball roll. It's a ball which rolls on an axle. It's not. It, it might want to look omnidirectional, but it isn't in practical. Mm. W- in the practical world, it's not omnidirectional. It's just like a wheel rolling. But we wanted to give the illusion that it was omnidirectional. So, the pattern arrangement meant that we we put the axle kind of weirdly offset to any of the patterns. So it's. if it spins, it spins in an asymmetric the patterns don't just go, I can't describe it in words (laughs) it spins in a weird, off, asymmetric way because of the way the patterns are arranged in relationship to the axle and that combined with Brian's sort of movements and he adds a little sort of wobble to it, it's just it makes it look like it's going all over the place when in fact it's not, so it's a sort of optical illusion so uh, yeah, a lot of the design decisions were made. It was this sort of like it's this mutual sort of design process where we're all working together to find a solution. It's not just aesthetic; it's sort of it's about movement and performance, really. Mm. Um, and then yeah, I, I just carried on, you know, back to the aesthetics. Uh, you know, just carried on tweaking it into that sort of R two D two world, really. I, I I really wanted to get face um, less anthropomorphic and. I push, yeah. I like the, the fact that there's a the big eye, a small eye, you know, there's these three eyes or things, which are sort of all, they don't line up particularly, um, which I really liked. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's
1: funny you mentioned, you know, when we were sort of talking at the start about your influences and you were saying, you know, it's not as if you sit down and go like, I'm going to consciously be influenced by this thing when I do this. It's more just, you know, it's the sum of your influences. Like when yes. you when you were describing the process of creating BB-8, you can sort of hear in there the influence of that kind of line Claire. you know, the French, like simplifying things like that kind of just the simpler shapes, um, yeah. you know, like when you were talking before about, you know, your your Tintin and things like that, like. That, I think that's one of the reasons why BB-8 in particular like translates so well to like animated mediums or comics or anything like that because even though obviously what you've said, there's a lot of complicated design process involved, what the viewer sees is just these very simple sort of geometric shapes that are just sort of very beautiful
0: in their simplicity. Yeah, I mean, that whole simplicity thing is, it's a, it's a, it is a mantra, I think, there's a simplicity to start. This is just beyond BB-8, this is Star yeah, yeah, yeah. Wars. Star, and I think you're probably aware of it as well. There's this mantra, I think, about simplicity in, in Star Wars design, which I think you look at so many of the designs of Star Wars and the successful designs and why they're successful. And you can just boil them. If they if you can boil a design down to a, a silhouette or a a few strokes of a, you know, you can draw a TIE fighter in, in four strokes, yeah, circle with two lines. TIE Fighter. You know, mm. Death Star circle with a, a little circle in it and a line. Death Star, BB-8 circle. You know, they're they're very simple um, graphic. Yeah, you know, very very. At the end of the day, they're very simple graphic designs. And I think that simplicity is the key. It's uh, it's 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 what lodges in people's heads. It makes them recognisable instantly. And I think consciously or subconsciously, that's what we probably also strive for when we're designing stuff. We want things to have a simplicity to them and we acknowledge the fact that so many of the good designs in Star Wars are so simple. Bob Fett, mm. Bob Fett's helmet is just simple as hell and <laughs> you can draw that in three lines. And
2: So when, uh, when that teaser trailer for Force Awakens came out and, and there was that little shot of BB-8 rolling in it and yes. everyone went crazy for it. Yes. How did that feel when you knew he was going to be the breakout star, when you got this inkling that, you know, you'd created something that was going to be that beloved?
0: Yeah, I think I was, I don't know, because it's a long time ago, I was probably happy. <laughs> I was just happy. <laughs> was really, I was just pleased. He was like, and I think, I, I can remember feeling more similarly to this, I think, did you know when you did that, he rolled out on stage on that uh, celebration thing? Yeah, because yeah. I think people looked at that and went, Yeah, that's cool. CG. You know, <laughs> it's like, but when he rolled out <laughs> on stage, and I think there was a shot of and it, turned the camera <laughs> towards the audience, and the audience, like, my alpha, just like, Oh my god, they're just yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> previously seen on screen, yeah, whatever, that's you know, could, you know, yeah, there's a CG element to that because we removed the rods, but we had to make a special version to go to. <laughs> uh, to get what we call the red carpet version. Um, yeah, which doesn't, it works, it literally will only work on carpet, I think. I think it will never roll across sand it, so. uh, But nonetheless, this thing rolls out for real. And the reaction is just, I mean, I love that reaction because it just proves, you know, there it is, it's real. It's mm. a real robot. And uh, mm. again, I just amazed, you know, Josh Lee made you that know, and Matt Denton you put it in you know, electronics. Just amazing. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, the porgs were the uh, the bigger worry. <laughs> yeah, because I you just didn't know. I mean, I think BBA, 8 I didn't have any. I wasn't unconfident. You know, there was no. Sort of, I don't know. Are they going to like it or not? I think I was very confident and didn't even consciously think it might not go down well. Whereas the porgs, you think, well, I didn't know. I, they could go either way, couldn't they? They could be. uh they could be the new Ewoks of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> or, or they could be, unfortunately, uh, yeah, when they came out and there was the, uh, I think there was a very positive reaction. I don't know said what they but each to their own. But they were, uh, again, they were they were very successfully received and I think I was quite relieved. I think Ryan did a good job with them because did, I didn't, you know, I didn't, you know, Ryan wanted the porgs for the reason he wanted them, which was, you must again know the story. a prime existence was to sort of just sort of you know, the, to kind of go along with all the wildlife in the in the wider shots. Who wanted to sort of add a little bit of wildlife to the uh, to the close-ups here and there, and they escalated from there. But at the time, I'm doing these things. I'm thinking, well, I don't know. Are they going to be? You don't know how much they're going to feature, whether there'll be too much or. But Ryan got it just right, I think. There's, they 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 appear for. A, enough time for you to sort of like them and laugh at them, but they're not in your face. You know, the the timing's just right. So they're not overkill. Um, Mm. Yeah, I was quite pleased with that.
1: I mean, obviously, like you, you sort of touched on this a second ago. Like most people, I think know certainly people who would listen to this sort of know the story of you know that the porgs are there to, um, you know, because of the puffins that are really on Skellig Michael Island. But like in terms of the design, what what sort of things were you were you inspired by?
0: The porgs are really quick to design. I I can kind of nail those in the days, and I, I I drew a lot of things which were. Well, I didn't nail They nailed the initial design. We got, we got, we hit, a, we got there in, in within two days. I think I drew a lot of things which were inspired by otters, like aquatic animals, but mammals, mm-hmm. like seals and otters and beavers, and again looking at penguins and puffins. And I kind of thought I'd try and amalgamate a sort of mammalian. They weren't feathered originally. They were going to be like little seals and um, mm-hmm. like. Yeah, They were like, the drawing I think that Brian was drawn to actually was more, had more like seal for the little sort of leathery flippers, still had the feet and this silly little face. Um, I like the design, you know, the design, why I'm happy with that particular one was, again, it's simplicity. It was just a sort of egg with um little <laughs> eyes at the very top of his head and this funny little sort of grumpy face and two little birds you know duck feet um it's really simple and i, 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 I kind of like it for that and yeah so it drew upon on various different you know i think ultimately it's a pug it's a seal a bit of otter but then the, the, the seal fur went away uh because again we were, they needed to, it, As as it transpired there were these wide shots where you see the little birds the actual real puffins wheeling around the, the rocks so they had to actually fly,
3: uh,
0: so they became feathered. And um, but the idea, I suppose, was that in my head that they would sort of—they'd be like diving penguin birds as well. They'd probably dive into the sea and catch fish and come up mm. again. Yeah, that's that's what they would live on—fish with their little sharp teeth.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I guess uh, on the on the opposite end of the spectrum, then, from the you know the massive global popularity of of BB Eight and the Porgs, you've got a character like uh, Constable Zuvio, who's become like a cult character because you know he's he's only in the film for a handful of frames. I mean, they made a figure, didn't they? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, they, and he was he was all over supermarket shelves. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: A video shot and yeah, I love that. I mean, it's got fun, isn't
1: it? <laughs> I mean, yeah, from your perspective, like, were you were you disappointed at all that he wasn't in the film more, or you know, would that have would that have taken away from the cult of Zuvio?
0: Well, no, I think now I think yeah, d- yes, it would. I think I, I mean, see, I think he's cropped up in books and comics, and he, he exists in other media. Uh, no, I think I'm, I'm happy with that. I mean, I think given the fact, yeah, you know, I've always. You know, I've designed hundreds of things. There's so many things that don't make it into the films, but a lot of cool things do. That it kind of balances itself out. And I'm, I, I might be disappointed about that, but hey, the PDA's in the film, and yeah, the film and yeah, the and, yeah. The, and the big beast. The, yeah, I've got enough going on not to be that disappointed. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it's cool.
2: At least the Zuvio cut.
0: Yeah, and I think yeah, Zuvio has. Uh, has got this sort of cult status is, is fantastic. Yeah. Mm. Not big in film. Brilliant. He started off as just a random... Back, he was one of my, uh, like I said, the scavenger. Draw, draw some cool desert scavengers. That was the brief. He just was one of those with a sort of Star Warsy hat. <laughs> um, and originally, yeah, with Zebio, he didn't... He, he, the, eye, the actual bit where you see his eyes was a really last minute thing. We made three of those characters, and which you see in the Mandalorian, I think. I think it's the one yeah, one. yeah, yeah. With his goggles, he's got these sort of uh, kind of cool goggles, and uh, but then at the last minute, literally like literally like days before the thing was getting shipped to Abu Dhabi, JJ's going, "Nah, uh, I want some eye. Yeah, let's get one of them with some eyes." So, uh, yeah, I think, we took another design that I'd done and just sort of, well, there are the eyes. Make those eyes. Somebody sculpt them up, and there's a little eye section fits in. <laughs> done. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: the eyes, the eyes make it. So uh, yeah, it's a it's a good addition yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. Another of your your sort of designs from from that film is you know the the Rathars. Like when you when you designed the Rathars, you yeah. I think you've, you've you've talked before about you were sort of influenced by. The kind of round, spiked sort of model of the influenza virus. In yeah. retrospect, do you feel like you were a little ahead of your time with that yeah, uh, with that yeah. design?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I do <don't> know. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly very pertinent now, isn't it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'm ahead of my time, but uh, I certainly, I, certainly I, I know, I knew what a flu a, a, a virus looked like before uh, this time last year. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was the brief for the Rathtars? Like sort of scary but not too scary? Like what were you kind of going for with them?
0: Rath-tars, they started yeah, you know, he just wanted this, you know, the point he wanted this giant monsters to escape and terrorize and destroy these two, you know, they'd be in the film they had to serve this purpose. And a lot of us spent ages destroying cool, you know, scary looking monsters, but nothing. Yeah, I can see why JJ wasn't like, you know, I was drawing stuff he didn't like. Not that he didn't like them, but they weren't right. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're cool, big teeth. But this is, again, it's the simplicity thing. And I did consciously just go back and think, right, okay, you know, we're, we're drawing these huge, big legs and I don't know, complicated monsters. Let's not be complicated because they're not. They're not hitting the mark. Let's be simple. And I just—I think I drew something. Yeah, a spiky ball with tentacles. And uh, it didn't really change that much from my original drawing. Really. I think it—I can't remember it, eyes or not. Big, yeah, lamprey mouth. Mm. Yeah. There's also a bit mm. of dog toy in there as well. <laughs> <laughs> dog toy. In place of dog <laughs> <laughs> in the in the art of book. There's a picture I did of the, the sort of my like final reptile design, and it was taken beyond. I have to say that, 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 that then we didn't make it for real, and and it was done digitally, and they, they changed the design a little bit further with some sort of blobs, big sort of yellow sort of blobs. Mm-hmm. But the design I did in, in, the, in the in the in the art of book literally is. I went on set, I took a photograph of the interior of that set, and then I got a photograph of the, like on Google like what a big ball, like dog toy <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and, if that's it, I, and then I got a photograph of the lamprey which is like an eel and I stuck that mouth on and I drew some tentacles and that's it <laughs> that's what I'm sold <laughs> and then, yeah the flu virus, you know, the flu virus is, was part of the original sketch
2: if, if Hasbro hasn't made a Rathard dog toy they're missing a trick
0: oh, that yeah. would be perfect yeah. let's make those tentacles shorter they might show. <laughs> yes,
1: good point. Good
2: point. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So, um, so when the sequel trilogy changed hands from JJ to Ryan, um, yes. was there a big change for you guys? Did you notice like a huge difference in the way the two of them worked?
0: Uh, I, I mean, they work. They do work very. They're two different kind of guys. They work very differently. they very. Yeah, there is a different pace. So there's a different energy. Mm. Very positive, but just different. But I think in, actually what I've noticed more in terms of changing of directors, this is, this is not just about going from JJ to Ryan. This is like going from JJ to Gareth to Ryan to Phil and Chris when we started on. Um, yeah. So is that when, when we've changed directors, each of these directors and the producers have come along. They haven't had a huge amount of perhaps previous experience working with. Puppets and practical effects, and there's there's always a little bit of nervousness, I think, on their part mm. as to what what's what what is this thing going to give me? You know, am I yeah. <laughs> will it will it? Yeah, if I'm we're investing all this time and money and energy, and it comes on set, am I going to get the performance I I, I want? And uh, Neil always sort of issues them very very well, and they're uh, always in the end very very pleased with you know, what they do get. I think they're always surprised by the sort of versatility and the, the sort of expressions that these characters and the performers that are in them and the animatronics can, can actually do. So it's that, it's, there's always this sort of sense of starting afresh with a director and team to sort of kind of prove what we can do. I think that's the thing I notice more than perhaps jumping from JJ to Ryan, say.
3: So. Mm.
1: Mm. What about like when you know in a situation like Rise of Skywalker or you know I guess uh, you know Episode Nine where you're sort of working with with one director on on one version of the story and then you know uh, Colin Trevorrow leaves JJ comes on board is that a completely fresh start for you guys or do you try and sort of like sell them on any of the ideas you've already had for for the previous version like how does that work? well uh, It was a
0: completely new start, really. I mean, we had a big break. I mean, you know, I think we started. We started um, with Colin in oh January twenty oh god what year is it where am I Uh 2017. <laughs> it's a bit like that at the moment it is isn't yeah um, twenty seventeen January twenty seventeen that, uh, that year we started on with Colin and then that went on for a few months I think we're also doing solar at the same time this is all vague and I know that 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 that, that we stopped working. The whole sort of Colin thing kind of ground to a halt and we went into a hiatus in maybe April, I think. And then then the whole thing happened with Solo. So there's this, then we jumped back on Solo when Ron Howard came on. And there was a lot more, we added more stuff to Solo. So there's a big kind of mental break there, really, over the summer. And then we went back to start back on uh, with uh, Rise of Skywalker. And I think even then I, I think we didn't we weren't aware of what was going on. I think we were expecting to carry on with Colin, but within a mm-hmm. day or so certainly transpired we weren't carrying on with Colin. And um, mm-hmm. I don't think we spent a few you know again we didn't know what's happening for a week or so and then JJ's on board. Hey uh, not not no scolly but yeah wait, I mean the, the, the hooray it's happening. Yeah uh, <laughs> Yeah. With, we, we get you. Yes. Um, mm. it's the, the project is carrying on. And then, yeah, then we spent maybe, a, there was a, a long time of, of blue sky thinking where we were just, because there was nothing, it had changed considerably. You know, what Colin would have done would not have been that film at all. And um, what Chris Terrio and, and JJ did was something else. And they spent, you know, a few months Analyzing that before we even, I don't think we even really sort of got into sort of proper meetings with until before Christmas, mm. but we were still being asked to sort of come up with stuff. So we were generating just ideas and sending them off. They may have sort of thrown a few little sort of bones to us, <laughs> like can you? I can't honestly can't remember what they were. We weren't totally worthless. Um, there were little ideas that we were asked to sort of think about. Mm. Um, yeah, it didn't really sort of get into full flow for a couple of months until late 20, uh, same year 2017. Yes, 2017. And then, yeah, 2018, it's, then it was, you know, it was all, all hands to the deck because the time was, you know, they still had to shoot it at the same sort of time. So it was a very, very energetically furious few months in, in 2019 to get all this stuff designed and made. Uh, did we carry anything over? No. Really. I mean, I think I'd say possibly a, a couple of background aliens I may have put forward to Colin I would have, you know, re-presented as background aliens. Mm. Uh, having said that, a lot of background aliens get recycled. You know, they don't, I might, you know, I don't, they, we don't abandon everything. So if there's some particularly cool things we we want to get made, or we we want to see somewhere in the film we, we may recycle them, you know, so all the way back from force awakens, you know if they weren't picked, I might redraw mm. them for the next film, not just show them the same image, but develop it a bit more, put it in a mm. uh, a more relevant costume. I did that for two characters in like solo there was a character in I'm jumping back here there was a um Karj, I think he had the the sort of serrated um, hedge trimmer nose at the mm-hmm. yeah. start. He started off as a picture I drew for a casino guy for Ryans, yeah, for Last Jedi. He was just a cool guy relaxing in the casino. He looked very swish in my... and then I like the idea but I redrew him to go into in solo and I made him look a bit more like he does in film. But he still mm. has the same sort of uh, creative design. So we do yeah, there may have been a few things we carried over, which weren't important into the you know, background areas, but none of the big ideas carried over from um, from Collins to J.J.'s.
1: Yeah, one of the um, one of the designs, like one of the really fun designs in in the art book, the Rise of Skywalker art book, is the uh, the caretaker assassins. Where where did was that something you were just like blue sky? What if what if there were caretaker assassins? Where where did that come from?
0: It's just like you know I think a brief. I mean sometimes you know, the briefs are face to face. Other times it's like Neil will come off the phone and say, "Oh, I've just been on the phone to JJ. Uh, there might be some some caretaker assassins in the snowy city, which it will. Really. <laughs> I don't want to do. got it. That right was the end of that. Draw so I because I did the, the caretakers I did some you know there were about I did four or five different pieces of art based on that one of which is in the book uh, I don't know what their purpose was there was this idea that the, the, the gang I knew that the, oh yeah they're fleeing through the streets and they, they can turn a corner and there is a bunch of assassins or something <laughs> <laughs> I was, was uh, and then the idea went away. <laughs> yeah <a> week. <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I thought it'd be fun i mean I liked when I did the caretakers for you know the um the, the last jedi i did all i, I think you know, they may have appeared in the uh in the special, in the in, the, in, the, in the deleted scenes the male ones
1: yeah there's there's a party scene in yeah. the deleted scenes where I think a bunch oh. of other caretakers pop up
0: when I certainly drew you know are these sort of like nun like convent ones, but that's, yeah, I drew some sort of slightly more roughneck oil rig. Um, they like, I imagine they like <laughs> fishing boats or something, so they're lots sort of tougher looking and sort of grizzly. Um, they exist as artwork somewhere, I'm not sure if they ever got published, but yeah, so I already had this sort of like idea that, that the male caretakers, yeah, then you yeah, know, in my head, they, they're not just the nuns, they're so these sort of race <laughs> of people, so having it was quite cool to draw some assassin
1: versions. <laughs> well, that's, that touches on, I mean, th- that's an interesting thing though, is like, how do you, like, it's one thing to design, you know, a Porg or a caretaker or, or whatever, but yeah. how, how do you then go about kind of differentiating species within that one, you know, sorry, aliens within that one species yeah. from each other?
0: I, I, more down to the sculptors. I mean, I draw a lot, you know, again, with say like the Akiaki or the, uh, the, the caretakers, what else was it that had multiples, or the Abedin, uh, the Aloasty guy. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> so like, for instance, the Aloasty, Abed, I cannot pronounce it, Abedno, Abedno.
1: Your guess is as good as mine. I will, you, you drew them, you, you get to know. I,
0: I should know, I should know how to pronounce them. Um, and anyway, so with that, say for instance with them, with the avenano we we played a lot with color and I think also with the Akiaki Aki, we played with different color tones they're quite similar really in terms of sculpt but with the the caretakers i mean it is down to the sculptors we you know each sculptor was given a different we had about six different sculptors doing i can't remember fourteen different heads or something like that and we we thought yeah it's going to be a big fat wand I think I drew some ideas of what a fat one looks like what an old one looks like. I did that with the Akiaki Aki as well. With the caretakers, I remember, I wish I still had this, this little model that Martin Vezard, who's one of my colleagues, he, he, he led the sculpt on the caretakers. And between us, we made this little little model, which was almost like a vector. Imagine you made a vector image of a, of a caretaker. You just boiled it down into a series of planes go, there's a plane which runs from the lip to the crest of the head. There's a plane which runs from the crest of the head down to the back. There are these sort of key planes, which we tried to adhere to, but we we we, move, I suppose we moved the lengths of these planes around. So we had this kind of core geometry, and then we just sort of alter it slightly, as slight as human geometry. Yeah, human geometry, mm-hmm. you know, the eyes are in a fairly fixed position. So we looking at human... Anatomy. We try and push the caretaker's anatomy within the similar same degrees. I suppose it was you know, looking at the differences in humans. How we all have this sort of similar geometry, yet mm. the the subtle differences. Yeah, it's really interesting. Sort of what you know, part I suppose of being able to do a, a expand on a race, uh, a species design more than just one. Of the same looking character repeated so yeah yeah it really is again sculptors do most of that <laughs>
1: <laughs> one of the other uh designs from the book that that sort of caught on and that a lot of people have been sharing uh, images of is, is the the eye of webbish bog that sort of oracle character it we oracle. touched on it earlier with the you know yes. the studio ghibli influence but but yeah, yeah what was the brief there like what were you sort of trying to to do with that
0: Right, the brief on that again, another simple one. Whereas he, you know, we he wanted this this scene, which obviously didn't make the edit, which is that that, that Kylo would uh, interact with this this creature, and I think JJ just wanted a creature that was had some scale to it, was like Jabba, but not like Jabba, like it's got to look like Jabba, but Jabba is has this scale and is bigger than. You know, he just wanted something big, really. I think. Mm and it was in a swamp and I think those were the two things I had, oh I mean, it wasn't definitely in a swamp, no, it, the swamp kind of came about later on, it could have been anywhere I think, it was really, it could have been big and it, it, where it was was a bit vague, a bit more vague because we did other things in fire and we knew it was a muster so we played with lots of different ideas. So the, where that came from was, it's got a lot of influences, that thing. I mean, one, it, there's a drawing I did actually for Solo, for Mother Proxima, which is in the art book, which you will see similarities. There is this idea, I love this idea of this, this head, uh, and the idea that you're suggesting scale simply because of what you can't see. You know, it's the unknown. Mm. So when I did this, I did a drawing of Mother Proxima, it's this similar head, um, but beyond, below the water, so who knows what's there? It could be this giant body. And that has influences in, I mean, I loved uh, Terry Gilliam. Terry Gilliam's a huge influence. Um, in Time Bandits, right? In time from, do you remember the bit in Time Bandits where there's a, a guy, with a like, they're they they on a boat or something, like, they're rescued or something, and the, it turns out the boat is like a hat. On yes. a guy's head and he walks out of the water. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love that. That's so I've always loved that. And suddenly this thing like you know appears out of the water and it, it suddenly breaks the surface, you can see his nose and mouth. So like, what? So <laughs> that was a huge influence. Yeah, uh, Miyazaki, again, that, that giant is it, Yubaba, the uh the, 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 the proprietress of the of the uh establishment, the the the, the bathhouse. Yeah, she's got this massive head. There's influences in, oh, I, I think there's those river spirits. There's, there's, oh, I can't think. Of it. There's all sorts of influences, um, and they all just again have seeped into that. I love that. and 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 then the symbiotic element. I drew this, I drew this horrific picture of this, this <laughs> sort of baby with this peeled back. <laughs> I don't know what i was thinking. I just thought it was, it was, I don't know, I knew, I, I drew it not thinking is it ever really going to get made, but just to get the idea across. really I, Yeah, so you've got this baby with this weird spider, but the kind of heads peeled back to where the the, the the tentacles are uh, sort of morphed into the surface, they're all one. And uh, yeah, that, that, that picture, as horrific as it was, uh, struck a chord. Um, we scaled back the horror of it a bit. And it was a bit more like, we still had this symbiotic creature, and that really, uh, yeah, that, that was kind of really what I think caught J.D.'s imagination, that it's not just one thing. You've got this enormous, I don't know if it's a baby or not, you know, it's like, it, it could be a baby, but it, it's certainly, it's this enormous creature, and the the, the, the spider-type creature sits on top of the head, and through this sort of touchy-feely of its, uh, um uh The tentacles can sort of draw some kind of energy or source of power to be able to prophesize. With the idea,
2: I think as you do. Yeah, yeah. something's just occurred to me there. um, Based on what you said earlier about your early love for um, D and D and things like that, did you read the Fighting Fantasy books?
0: Yes, I did. Remember
2: Island of the Lizard King, where the Lizard King has the spider thing on his head called the Gonchong, and it's like a Mm -hmm. parasite.
0: No, I'm gonna have to look that up.
2: No, no I yeah, I look it up because that—that's just occurred to me that you know it's, it reminds me of of that and and maybe you know that's deep in your brain somewhere. Maybe I don't know.
0: I, yeah, I, yeah. So just uh, very quickly note the Island of the Lizard King. I'll look it up.
2: Yeah, yeah maybe it's I, like I, the I, second or third one of those books. It's a really I, early I, one. Was City of Thieves. City of Thieves was
0: that was a second.
2: one. Yeah, that was like the,
0: the fifth one or something. Yeah, yeah. Yes, they were quite inspirational as well. I cool. Um, yeah. I don't know if I dare look at it because I'll probably get really depressed and find out I've, uh, I've somehow subconsciously uh, taken it off. I don't know. <laughs> it wasn't in the movie, so it's fine either way. You know. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No one. No, there's no original
1: ideas. It's all <laughs> you you know. Something. So exactly. Whatever exactly yeah. that's the whole the whole point of this <laughs> most of this podcast i mean when it came time to design Dio did you yeah. feel that same did you sort of feel the pressure to like replicate the success of BB-8 Where you sort of thinking like oh this has got to be the cute little droid everyone I'm loves not, this time
0: yeah a little bit i mean there are times in the process of all of those films where i've heard the words uh or i get the feeling that that. We want, we want something, they want something iconic. I know they want something. you know, there's this desire to end up with something that is, can be then, thenceforth known as being iconic. Mm. And the pressure sometimes you think, oh, I mean, at least least it's not just me, you know, at least it's not all riding on me, other (laughs) people. But nonetheless, you sort of, (laughs) sitting there, you're going, right, you know, design something iconic today, which is, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah you, you know that that's there at the back of some people's minds in the meetings that you're trying to hit whether we were doing you know l3 whether it's do whether it's uh, BBA, whatever, you know you know that the the iconic factor is important um, <laughs> DO, yeah and do is interesting again it's another uh another. Another example, I think, of a similar kind of a, a, a combined design process working very closely with Josh. Uh, you know, he, Josh Lee, who made BD8. You know, mm-hmm. the, a lot of the constraints, it had to be a certain size. I think a lot of the idea of, of how it, you know, the way the, the, the way the, we've got this wheel, okay, that's a given, but the wheel's got to be a certain width because we need to get this sort of motor in there. You know, there is the, 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 the stick that comes outside, comes across is, that's kind of Josh because he's got to get the head somehow. Yeah, I think Josh laid this sort of skeleton out, is, you know, can it be like this? And we are like, okay, we'll draw stuff based on those factors. The head was the sort of bit that then, you know, I think between Luke Fisher and I, certainly maybe a couple of the other guys, We were certainly drawing stuff that all had this wheel, stick, a bit across, and then a multitude of different heads. Weirdly, I'd drawn something, uh, literally on day one, that had this little cone head. And as often quite happens, after drawing multitudes of stuff, directors will circle back right to the start (laughs) go I like that one anyway! (laughs) And uh, and it's great, so this little cone, uh, yeah, was the thing really. it's again. It's a simple design. It's a circle and a triangle or a cone. You know, it's very simple. So, but we went through a lot of different other ideas. Yeah.
1: yeah, Neil um, Neil Scanlon mentions in the book that like Spy versus Spy might have been something JJ had in mind with Dio. Like, was that something that was conveyed to you at all?
0: No, I know it's more a case of I drew something. And I think people looked at it. oh, that looks like Spy versus Spy. But, <laughs> It was never uh, an inspiration. I kind of occasionally look back at Spy vs Spy and yeah, they've got long noses. But then uh, you could look at—I mean, I like to say. There was a kid's show when I grew up in the 70s called Finger Mouse. Do you remember Finger Mouse? I mean, that's just like... Yeah, I do, yeah. So let's say he's based off Finger Mouse, not Spy vs. Spy. (laughs) Excellent. Spy vs. Spy is mad, isn't it? And that's American. I never read mad, so... um... (laughs) Finger Mouse is so uncool.
1: Another uh, another great design of yours in Rise of Skywalker is Bulio, who is only in the film very briefly, just to essentially just to hand some information and then to be uh, to be decapitated. I yes. mean, he's such a the, the, especially the art we see of, of yours of Bulio in the book. I mean, he's such a friendly, lovable-looking character. Did it bum you out at all knowing that he was going to be immediately decapitated? <laughs> no,
0: <not really. laughs> At least I knew he was going to be in the film. At least I knew he had a very defined role, yeah? <laughs> well, you know, I think there's a higher chance that he was going to make it in the edit, regardless of his um, fate. Yes. Uh, no, sorry. I mean, first he did his job.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he a market. I,
0: I th- I think.
2: I think I read somewhere that he was only designed with those horns so that Kylo had something to hold on to when he decapitated him.
0: <laughs> yeah, It was very practically combined. Yeah, because it was yeah, it's gonna be a shot. Yeah. A where he may have had to hold on to something. Mm. Like, well, how do you hold on to a decapitated head? I and mean, usually it's, you know, you get the hair and hair is always a bit tricky on aliens. it never kind of looks I don't know, you don't have a they're either hairy. Or they're not. <laughs> they're, <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes they've got hair, but it's always a tricky thing to give a hairstyle to an alien. They look a bit odd. Uh, I did one. I think it's in the book where he's got some tentacles instead of yeah, yeah. hair-like tentacles. So that was an mm. idea. He need yeah. So Kylo needs to hold on to something. A okay. Hair no. Tentacles near yeah. horns. Yeah, horns are good. So the horns exist as a means just to literally hold. His decapitated. <laughs> They're chicken horns, I think, are there they I drew them anyway. I think it was again so that he when he put his head down it he didn't just flop over. It, it it's just they are there <laughs> <laughs> to, to support his, his uh, decapitated head. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible story. I think the whole genetic existence is to be uh self supporting yeah. his decapitated head.
1: It's like the opposite of evolution. It's like it's so exactly. that you can yes. be more
0: easily killed and um, presented to and the presented, dark. yes.
3: Yeah,
0: Presented in a, in a good way, yes. <laughs>
1: <So>. mm. <laughs> speaking of uh speaking of heads, you uh, you also came up with the final design I think what I think is the final design for Kylo Ren's like repaired helmet in The Rise of Skywalker. Like yeah. Yeah was that like sort of Kintsugi element, something you brought to the design or had that always been there? Like how did that kind of develop?
0: Weirdly, the whole Kintsugi thing, it it turned out that it wasn't just me. So I, you know, we had this brief, uh, it was like, uh, yeah, somehow he's rebuilt his mask. And we did a lot of stuff again, between costume. I think everyone, this is a big thing that was thrown out to as many people that, you know, they wanted to sort of get ideas from. So it went to Art departments, it went to Costume, who are ultimately responsible for that um, outfit. It mm-hmm. went to us and we all drew stuff where we, you know, we did things which, which retained elements of the mask and made it bigger, you know, like he'd sort of, he'd, he'd, like he stepped up a level um, and made it more impressive. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think JJ was liking those. And then, yeah, I, I did. I mean, I was, I was, again, in my just, you know, n- knowledge of stuff. I know, I'm <laughs> Japanese stuff. I don't know. I was aware of Kintsugi. I knew it was a thing. And I, I thought, oh, it's eh, cool. Maybe, you know, it could be, uh, you know, he's glued it back together with some, you know, nice. I think I, my first one did have the gold in my first presentation. Mm-hmm. And JJ, yeah, he loved it. He loved it. It then turned out that Glyn Dillon who is the senior concept designer artist for Costume, who's also concept concept um, designer for, uh, for Solo and, and Rogue One, but he's the senior concept artist on the sort of main sequels. He equally, similarly, had exactly the same idea. So I'm not going to be anyone to say it was my... I mean, the one that designed the final one. So he... Costumes similarly presented their own, you know. Hey, look, Kanjuri, we've thought of this idea. Uh, they're both in the, the art of the book, and uh, yeah, we independently are uh, were aware of Japanese uh, pottery restoration techniques. <laughs>
1: um, but that that you know that that goes back to what we, what you were talking about before. I mean, it's all about you know, it's about those real world influences yeah. and and just being observant.
0: Totally, yeah, yeah, totally. It's, it's like, yeah, just the, you know, so many little things can sort of wend their way into your designs that you just, you know, subconsciously soak up, and um, one day, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 you um, you also
1: did a lot of work on the Aki Aki festival. Like, did that that? I mean, especially reading through the work you did on that in the book. I mean, it sounds like you were like inventing a whole culture from scratch. Like, how did that work?
0: Yeah, on well, the Akiyaki, Aki, a yeah, obviously did the final Akiyaki Aki design for these creatures. I didn't do the children for the Akiyaki. Aki. The children were designed by Ivan Manzella, and mm-hmm. I had always designed the children as being like small versions of them. Really, you know? But JJ, for a long time, the Akiyaki Aki could have been either of those designs, and um, JJ loved that design for the kids basically so much so that it ended up being that they were going to be the kids. And the adults were going to be the designs that I did, mm-hmm. which is why they look different. And I don't know, some people sort of like question, oh, yeah, well, why do they look different? But then I've kind of, I've been try, <laughs> trying to justify why they look different. <laughs> They're basically some crazy sort of like a caterpillar it doesn't look anything like a butterfly, is my is my animal. Yeah. You know, we don't understand their, their, their puberty um, <laughs> moment. Uh, it's probably horrific. They probably go to some kind of uh, <laughs> um, pupa- pupating stage and emerge because their nostrils disappear and end up on them somewhere. I, I, it's it's anyway. I don't know. There are two different designs. So anyway, I did the main akiyakis, and then um, going back to your question about the culture and all that sort of thing, we were then working quite closely with um, sets deck, who are another department slightly associated. Mm-hmm. To the art department, they're much more sort of uh, set deck. Do like a lot of the props and a lot of the bigs so, that you know, they all design, say all the tents that you see in in the, in the and then all the sort of things that people carry and all the sort of uh, elements that go in that set. Really, perhaps mm-hmm. more than the art department. Um, and set there, and for a long time, you know, JJ wanted to focus. That you know, what? Why is this festival happening? You know what's going on. Why is everyone there? And there was going to be perhaps more of a uh, focus than there was in the film, really. In the end, you know, just to sort of justify the festival. And we went through a lot of ideas, uh, presenting ideas that perhaps they could be, you know, there could be a, some kind of deity that you know there would be. It would be a festival aimed at a certain god. Mm-hmm. And what does that God do? So we're think, well, desert, water, fire, the harvest. You sort of look at all these other things which you know about, um, you know, about sort of religious festivals in you know, on earth, basically. And what, what, what matters to people is, is sort of fertility and, and and thankfulness and and water and good harvests. Those sort of basic things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, looking at those and just sort of, again, drawing ideas for God's based on yeah, different religions and how they interpret God. There's a lot of Hindu influences and stuff I was doing. But then Setdeck also wanted, they, they needed to be able to create um, sort of uh, cultural items that were made in that culture. <laughs> so, like mm-hmm. you'd have, so you end up drawing ideas for how you know, an Akiyaki, you know, and here's an, an anatomical version of an Akiyaki, but here's a sort of ethnic their version like, of their ethnic art interpretation mm. of a sculpture or, a, or as a painting or something like that, which is also very interesting. You get sort play with different mm. styles. So again, there are other things like, uh, I think I drew things with, with there, was, there was this idea, not my idea, they wanted this idea of a big statue. A lot of us drew lots of big statues, of Akiakis or gods, with ideas of the sun shining on a certain spot, uh, in the year sort of an equinox sort of thing like Stonehenge you know mm-hmm. just throwing ideas at them yeah I don't know where it really went in the end I think in the end they just sort of dialed it back and uh, <laughs> 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 there is evidence of it though in the film there is some there is some kind of, there is a story uh, there is actually the, the puppet show the puppet mm-hmm. show was a story which we which we mapped out I think one of our puppeteers wrote it and it's all about this cycle of, oh, I wish I could remember that. Maybe I'll Instagram it one day, I don't know. Um, <laughs> so there's this this, 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 the fire and the sun are sort of interrelated. You see a shot in the film where, quite early on, where you've, where the camera uh, dollies up off a big fire pit and you see one of the Akiyaki throw this little uh, sort of votive corn doll into the mm-hmm. corn- also, really popular. The JJ really wanted these corn dolls, and then you see, uh, you see one throw this little corn doll effigy into the fire, and that's this sort of—it's um, a symbolic sacrifice, I suppose. They're throwing themselves into the fire, and there's, similarly in the in the puppet show is that it's it's one of their like biblical stories in that you've got this big fire, the sun rises, you mm. see this god who's like a snake going to the sky as a puppet and they throw these little effigies into the fire pit they were kind of repeating what's going on in the actual festival uh, and it's all there we shot this whole thing and um, so there is a story and I think I did storyboarding uh, again I think there's a storyboard over mm. in the um, in the art of book you can mm. see the story and interpret it as you will <laughs> <laughs> the
2: uh, that festival scene was the, the scene in which you got to do your cameo as uh, Zuton well, Zuton
0: yeah which is yeah. I, I I did spot him. I did my best. <laughs> <He> just, <laughs> barely, barely there. If you know where to look, you can see him. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there was an idea, I think, where they were going to do perhaps a little more on, on Tatooine than they did, which is why I, yeah, I think Tatooine, they changed and it became the scene that it is at the end, but they may have had this idea that it would have been a little bit more on Tatooine where you saw a little bit more of the, like you see the jowers at the mm-hmm. end of the uh, they were thinking, oh, maybe we could see uh, you know some sand people, we could see this, whatever. And I said, Oh I, I think I I sent an email to JJ saying, Can we have zoot please? <laughs> um, or snaggletooth, as I said, you know. Yes. Snaggletooth. So I guess I, I kinda of have this kind of affection for snaggletooth. And he said, Yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> Whatever, I don't think he, he reminded that much. And then, and then, as we got closer to it, I think I said to Neil, Can I be Zoot? Can I be in it? Because <laughs> I was going, because I, I don't normally get to go on the shoots. Because we normally, I don't, yeah, the, when you're on set, it's not my role. I've my, my job's done, we're mm. we moving on to the next job. But we, we, we mm. had so much to do in in Jordan with you know hundreds and hundreds of these extras. So we needed, it was all hands on deck. We need as many people there. So when I went out there, as much as I was art directing some of the things I'd done, I was equally helping people get dressed in the morning with the, all the dresses. <laughs> I was helping people keep cool. We've got these big fans, which you know, like leaf blowers, which we poke up their masks, giving people water. You know, pitching in really. You just needed everybody to be there. Mm. Um, and as I was going, I did say, "Look, you know, can I be Zoot? The, the head, quite frankly, would have fitted anyone. <laughs> wasn't specific to anyone's. Uh, a lot of the, the things we make are very specific. They've got internally these sorts of uh, casts which fit very snugly over people's heads and all the mechanicals and stuff like that. So really a lot of the characters can only be played by very specific people because they're made for them. Mm. Whereas <clears throat> a lot of the background ones, like Zitong, it's just a head empty. It's like hollow. And uh, But I did get it then fitted for a costume which would only fit me and uh, had my little hump and <laughs> mm-hmm. he, the the, ta- the Tatooine bit got lost. He wasn't going to be in Tatooine. Uh, so I still wanted to be there. So I sort of said, well, can I still be here? We have Hammerhead as well. Can we get these guys as like tourists? Yeah, this is a festival. People come, <laughs> yeah, it's like people go to India and they visit the, you know, or whatever, <laughs> big festivals. Yeah. They're there to sort of soak in the, soak in the sights and join in. So. He dotted around, there are other aliens anyway, who are just there doing their thing. I did a, I did a, a kind of character who's who's meant to be like an like, itinerant sort of salesman who's just gone there purely to sell stuff, you know. He's like, I'm going to sell my wares at <laughs> the festival. Zuton is there. I I performed him as this sort of wide-eyed. Uh, he's never been anywhere like that. So if you watch me, if you watch my amazing, very, very dismal performance, <laughs> My motivation, self, this is me just thinking what am I going to do here, I'm staggering around, I'm not staggering, I'm sort of wandering around, you know, I keep like, I'm walking around looking around in wonderment, I don't know where to look, I'm looking over there, I'm looking over here, all the other aki are sort of walk, walking very purposefully uh, as extras to like, I'm going from A to B, and I'm mm. doing this, I'm like, having a conversation. Whereas I was just this sort of uh, sort of naive tourist, uh, just sort of, wow, this is amazing. Um, I hope some of that <laughs> came across as Ray looking at the puppet yeah. show, which is the scene. If you look at Ray looking at the puppet show, you can see me cross behind uh, uh, in deep background. That's it. Yeah, soul role.
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm just thinking of uh, little Jake looking at his snaggletooth action figure in the yeah. early 80s, going, "Someday I'm going to play okay. you in a Star Wars film."
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a big decision. Do I go for the purple suit or do I go for the actual sort of? I didn't know whether to. Yeah. Or is it? Is it? Is it? Yeah, the one that's in the film. Yeah, you know, in the actual. We went for the uh, the film version. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was a. Tra- I was. 15, so it could be the purple suit. I don't know. Anyway, I, know.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's a character you obviously love. Like, what? Are, which of your own designs kind of feels most personal to to you? Uh,
0: uh, well, I mean, things like is obviously personal? I obviously I've had a big hand in BB8, and but uh, they also have their roots in in a lot of other people's. Um, input and, uh, but something I say like the porks I feel very attached to because literally they, they came out of my head and and the raised speeder I feel very attached to because again that's just it was it, it, something I feel I came very independently so it's kind of mine but yet they're big things so I feel kind of I have uh, some sort of more ownership uh, and I'm very proud of them. So uh, I'm very pleased with those. And I think they particularly... I, yeah, Race Speeder, I'm pleased with I feel it just... It has become iconic. It's, it's mm. a cool machine. Um, what
1: were... Just quick, quickly on Race Speeder. Like, obviously, it's, I guess it's kind of unusual for... like Because you usually do sort of droids, creatures, yeah. etc. For you to do like a vehicle. Like, what, what was kind of your process for Race Speeder?
0: Speeder? Well, we were... Very, uh, Darren Guilford, who the, was a the co-production designer, um, uh, 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 on on Force Awakens, uh, he, he I think obviously was aware of you know, sort of droid success uh, with BB-8, and I think JJ was he his department were not getting very far with the speeder designs, and he just basically came to us and said, "Would we like to get involved? You know, and just see what we could come up with?" And he said, "Yes." And, I mean, we all stopped drawing creatures and started drawing cool spaceships, which was, or, yeah, just vehicles, which was great fun.
3: Mm. Um,
0: so it was a really kind of great opportunity to sort of jump, uh, jump onto, onto that side of things for a bit. Yeah, I did dozens and dozens, well, yeah, dozens of designs. A lot of, I was looking at Luke Speeder, I was looking at hot rods, I was looking at, you know, things that influenced, I knew that, that were an influence to the original Star Wars, you know, that whole, American Graffiti thing, mm-hmm. like, you know, dune buggies and and, and and trying to bring someone out into it. And um, then there's also this utilitarian factor. I did things that looked a bit like, like, uh, forward control trucks, like right? a Jeep forward control. Um,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and then I think I did a bunch of designs, uh, which were all very similar, but played on, you know, which were essentially the, the core idea for race speeder, which were, yeah, you know, it's this, air. Ray Speed draws on a tractor, you know, like a agricultural, you know, those old school ones that, with no cab. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was, yeah. It's basically... The old Massey Ferguson's. Yeah, it's like an old school yeah. tractor. Uh, that's really it, no wheels. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> you can make your own if you had one. Uh, it's a bit of that. I also love those sort of 19... Uh, 19- 30s, 20s, sort of like racing the, the car, those sort of um, Mercedes of uh, racing cars in the 30s, which were just like this long tube with a grill, beautiful grills at the front, and it's just a tube, and uh, they were sort of inspirational. Um, and again, I think a little bit of just thinking about Luke Luke's Speeder, and uh, you know, again, there's this idea. <laughs> I like think I played in fact. You just take Luke Speed and you just do it on its side. <laughs> <laughs> it's just similarities. <laughs> it's a slab. I like the fact it's just a slab, and it's just a, it's a simple design. I think again, that's what appealed. There were elements on it which we spent a long time. Like for instance, the saddle seat wasn't my idea. That came out of art department. They put that in. I'll grant them that. Um, um, yeah, I did this core design. The art department developed it immensely, and uh, we spent a long time. Uh, they played with the scale you know with these big cutouts in the studio where this is just drawn on paper where they could just size it up against a person and go yeah it's too big too small you know there was half a dozen of those we spent a long time just faffling around with those you know the little there's these two little panel the, the little sort of jet things at the front mm-hmm. yep Again, when I drew it I think I put on on I'd originally drawn it with sort of uh, speeder bike vanes that stuck out you know, on the speeder bike and they would be sort of steering vanes. Well, I, you know, I drew dozens of different ideas for things that would go there. <laughs> <laughs> the things that go there, uh, totally inspired by it. If you look at the side of a space shuttle, I look, I've got this, I love the space shuttle. It, it, the space shuttle is this thing which I have, a, I remember the, when it took the first one you know, launched in, well, 81, I think, was it? uh Columbia and it was just like, I love the space shuttle as a design it's had this huge sort of like uh you know really sad when it tired. I don't know I just love it. But those mm. port it's got these little steering it's got these little uh, thruster ports on the side of the space shuttle the back. Uh exactly totally ripped off those. Do the those same layout. <laughs> love them and they just all the side of the and I think it's those little influences. Again it's like you know going back to the star wars design you know the guys working on star wars were all influenced by stuff that they grew up with you know in the 50s and 60s and i suppose that's quite a nice little touch this is a thing a little a design element from something that i was in you know it means something to me from the 80s you know when i was a kid so hmm. uh, parallels
1: speaking of you like you being a kid i mean isn't isn't uh, one of your designs also sort of inspired by by your child
0: yes my daughter yeah, she she was yeah right. The character's called Orme Isalo, which is an anagram of her name, right? Which was amazing because uh, uh, what happened is, is that 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 when I started, my daughter's just turned thirteen now, and mm-hmm. she was seven, six or seven when I started on on um, on Force Awakens, and uh, she was really, she was not a huge, wasn't a huge Star Wars fan, but she like you know, she was aware of it, and she liked the fact that I was working on Star Wars, and she loved the fact that I was designing aliens, and she'd... Every so often, she'd draw me some aliens, I'd go, look, I've done a little alien. And I, occasionally, if I thought they were, like, kind of cool, I'd take it to work, and I'd redraw it in my... You know, like a professional <laughs> grown-up style. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, then I'd present it as a... Because I thought, you yeah, know, some of these are quite cool, you know, they're good ideas, and one of them I Thought was cool was this one that got chosen, which was uh, I look, I, again, if you look deep in my Instagram, there is a picture of it somewhere, or it's on somewhere, it's on the, it's on the internet. I think if you just type in Oromea Zelo, you, you will see a little sketch that she did, which is simple as hell. I mean, it's just like a, a U shape, these horns, and these big bug mm. eyes, and some pipes. And again, it's got this sort of very simple graphic, um, you know, literally, she's the kid drawing the graphic version. <laughs> And I've just added a bit of texture. Uh, so yeah, I think I presented that, you yeah, know, Ryan he lost out on that design. He turned it down. It got quite high up in the the pyramid I told you about. It made the B list. I come home and say, Helloise, Helloise, it's made the B list. And she's like, <laughs> And I say, Don't get your hopes up there, okay? Don't get your hopes up. She's like, okay. She's very quite grounded, quite realistic. She understands. That, that it's never you know you can't it's not it's not a done deal and then it's made the A-list oh <laughs> uh, it's been Solo by the way Ryan had turned it down as I say he, 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 but Solo they picked it and mm. uh, Solo oh no so Ryan had picked it then it got locked then it got dropped and she's like oh and then it went Solo and I think yeah it's made the B-list yeah let's play the A-list yeah and she's been chosen yeah and she's very excited. Then they're, they're sculpting it now, and uh, she's getting very, very excited. Still, don't count me know Could never be in the film, which it really. really, really. <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, nonetheless, I did. Then it wasn't, you know, it got filmed. Emailed Pablo Hidalgo, and I explained because quite often, I don't know, if you if you if, if you look at the names given to a lot of uh, not a lot, some of the names in the in the in the uh, visual dictionary. Mm-hmm. Of all these characters, they're not given during the filmmaking. They don't have names when they made the film. These background characters are sort of fleshed out, I think, afterwards by the yeah. story. And they go on to be part of bigger stories if they're lucky, you know, like uh, Constable Zulio. He, he, anyway, so they're, they're, I think their characters then can be subsequently fleshed out. So I emailed, and some of the names are often um, kind of like little anagrams or references to the performers or certain key members. So mm-hmm. like, for instance, I think, you know, like uh, stable, the stable, the boy that plays broom boy in, uh, yeah, yeah. His character name, if you look at his character name in, is an anagram or loose anagram. They're not complete. They're loosely based on his real name. Yeah. because yeah' right. Film, right. So, right. So they give him a name after this, And it mean, went on the credits. This is kind of, in thing fun thing i think they like to do and i emailed pablo and i said here's a story what i've just told you blah 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 and like, is there any chance that you could somehow kind of if, if, if it appears anywhere in the film or in the book can the name somehow reflect hers and he said yes and her name is an anagram of her uh, her name's eloise aurora may and her the the uh, characters called it's uh, what was it oramay a sailor which is a Roughish anagram. Yeah, he yeah. At the end of solo. Yeah, uh, and then yes, then he dies in the Mandalorian. <laughs>
3: yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> I was just watching that uh, episode six of Mandalorian gallery last night. You know the behind the scenes been, thing, and you can started? see Orme Azello quite clearly in about three scenes.
0: Is that the practical effects? Show? Yeah, the, yeah, the yeah yeah um, I did watch yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah yeah yes mm. yes I did I, I I showed you that one. Yeah, so I was quite yeah. pleased that he did make a a, a bigger, a, you know, a big enough for me that he's on screen. Yeah, great, The Mandalorian, and he got died in that firefight. Maybe I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I think he did. Uh, Look, no, if that-
1: there's nobody, they can always bring him back. You know how it. You <laughs> know how it works.
0: Oh, his twin. His twin. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly. There's a whole species of him out there somewhere.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um... Yeah, so no, he was, I was again, I think he was one, He is one of the ones that I have a huge personal attachment to and, and mm. kind of proud of his existence and the story behind his existence. So, <laughs> yeah, he's cool.
1: What's your, what's your favourite Star Wars design that's not yours? Like either either from the sequel trilogy or from, you know, the earlier, the earlier films?
0: Uh, right. I think earlier films, I think I, I've always loved. Uh, Boosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I just love it. I think uh, fact, a and the fact it's Princess Leia underneath is just brilliant as well. Yeah, as a character, everything about it is cool. It's Princess Leia. I love the, the design of the helmet, I love the colors of the helmet, I love the voice, the, 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 the scrambled voice. I quite often get influenced by Boucher. I like, I also loved uh, Zook, and Long. um, mm-hmm. because. A, Fallon was a brilliant, I love the design. Again, I kind of sometimes quite often do stuff which looks a bit like him. <laughs> I <laughs> think that's something cool. In fact, Fallon's eyes uh, influenced, um, or I may say those eyes? I did something similar. Oh, there uh, you go. Fallon's eyes, I think, were made out of crushed glass, but um, yeah, in reality, these are broken shards of glass to look like an insect and I, we made For- or may say those eyes look like giant lumps of amber they're actually cast in resin like they're giant like amber stone mm. I digress <laughs> uh, why <what> I like this <laughs> from Forlom, and I forget actually Fallon's the robot Fallon is like cool because he's like a protocol I like the fact that he's like you know like uh, C-3PO is like this uh, he's a human protocol droid yeah he's hum- humanoid hmm I think Fallon is like a, whatever race Zuckus is. He's like there. He's kind of got a he's kind of got a protocolish body, but a, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. he's very similar to Fallon. I think he's meant to be like. Yeah,
1: I've never of, like I've never sort of put that together, but yeah, that that
0: makes sense. Yeah. I think there's some relationship between the two. Maybe they're from the same world. You know, maybe they're not from mates. But they certainly have a, some heritage. So I liked mm. I always liked those two. Uh I love Jowers. I love the Sankola. You know, Jarra's just amazingly simple design uh, and, and the sand people and all that, they're brilliant. Um the new films, uh what I like I, I think if I I, I love two tubes. I think what Luke did mm, if, Yeah. I love two tubes. Um you know, so slightly so jealous of, of that one. <laughs> <laughs> <And he> of <looks laughs> boring and he looks cool. I mean, yeah, I like two tubes a lot.
1: Your, um, your own Lucasfilm contract ended after five years in, in 2018. But, I mean, I can't imagine, based on all the great concepts we've just talked about, that they wouldn't want you to come back and do stuff for future films. I mean, do you think there's more Star Wars in your future?
0: Is there any Star Wars in me, I think, is the question. <laughs> <laughs> I think, well, first of all, to clarify the contract business, because I remember I announced, I announced... Oh, I'd finished my contract. And I think there's so, oh God, why? What's going on? You know. And how it works is that we're contracted per film. Okay. okay. So okay. I never had a like a job with Lucasfilm. I'm a freelance person. So mm-hmm. the film starts, we're contracted for the length of that film, our contract ends. And it just so happens that mainly I'd say 80% of the last five years or the five years between 2013 and 2019, 80% of that time was, you know, I was on a Lucasfilm film under their contract. And come the end of uh, Rise of Skywalker, that was my time done. And I think perhaps the uh, understanding of contracts, it was not fully understood. Uh, it's only for that film, but you know, yeah, that represented my final film, I think. Mm. We've we done the, the three sequels and the two spin-offs and I wasn't really sure what was going to happen next. Job done. I said, so that's, yeah, that was, that's my relationship, you know, with working for Lucasfilm. And that's how everybody working really generally on the films works. You're just on a a per film contract for the duration. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. There's stuff potentially happening. I mean, we already started, you know, they, I know that they, they, They've got these live-action, uh, aside from Mandalorian, other live-action things in, in the, you know, offing. We made a start on the Cassian Andor thing. I was sort of involved in that just before everything stopped, you know, COVID-19. Mm-hmm. It's put a stop to literally everything. So, yeah, I was involved. Yeah, last year, I did a lot of other things, storyboards and other design projects, but earlier this year, went back on to, you know, a bit... No, it's not a biggest thing as you know working on the films, so it wasn't ever going to sort of do this big job. But I was certainly with mm. some key characters for that. Um, because I'm in the middle of doing it when when we stopped, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I don't know what's happening. I can't. I have no idea what's happening yet. Yeah, um, feel itching to get going, but it's, it's all yeah. uh Logistics the filmmaking and live action filmmaking is like, oh, goodness knows, goodness knows how it's going to work. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. hopefully, there'll be some. Yeah, I love to say it's been brilliant, and I, I, I hope they do ask me back, you know, for, for other jobs. So, it'd be great. Yeah.
1: Just before we let you go, I mean, you, you briefly touched on this a second ago, but what have you kind of been working on since Star Wars? Like, you've gotten back into storyboarding, right? And doing I some did, other yeah. things like that.
0: Yeah, I did. Uh, well, storyboarding I've just done, I did last, so autumn, uh, fall, if you're, uh, if you're American. Uh, so, like October through to December, I was working on Venom 2 for Andy <coughs> Um, Do storyboards for that, which was uh, really cool. I haven't, you know, I mean, I've done so many commercials boards, but a few, only a few movies and small ones, So, it was a really you know, great opportunity I think just to sort of get a crack at doing a proper you know storyboarding on a proper big Hollywood film which was yeah uh, it was very interesting. You know it's another process it's another world entirely. You know concepting has its it's so it's it's a lot more there are different there are just different things. I mean storyboarding is intense it's very intense very intense. <laughs> and then I had been since just before Christmas working with Ben Weekly on Tomb Raider 2, which he, which I've known Ben since from going back to the crazy weird viral factory days of doing weird little funny films, and then Ben's gone on to do his own amazing things. Mm. So i stayed in touch, and then yeah, he's he's been involved in Tomb Raider, so I did a lot of that, which was I don't know. Again, in an ideal world, we'd be doing that. You know, I might, I'd have already checked off a bit of Star Wars and now we're back onto Tomb Raider 2. But mm. um, again, don't know what's going on. Uh, yeah. I was doing a cool thing for a small robot. I was working with an augmented reality experience, which was going to be at the Science Museum and Natural History Museum this year. Uh, and last year I, I was designing a robot would have been in this augmented reality experience. You'd have gone to the science museum and taken part in this experience. And it would have been the robots. Um, I have no idea. I mean, I was meant to go to South by Southwest to sort of help promote that this year, but that got canceled mm. and yeah. no idea what the prognosis for that project is anymore. So <laughs> 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 yeah. well, are, really, everything's like, ah, oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, look, hopefully by the time people are listening to this in a few weeks, everything's, uh, I mean, look, that's already being a bit overly optimistic, but anyway, hopefully at some point all this stuff comes, comes back, <laughs> yeah. uh, comes back online. Yeah.
0: Mm. yeah. I mean, I've been doing a lot of, you know, CG. I mean, yeah, I think there's a lot of CG stuff happening. So I'm, I've got you know, commercial stuff doing, kind of character for CG related things. I think CG is going to be sort of safe in some areas or helping out in some areas. So, yeah. Um, yeah, things are happening, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> we will wait to hear that. <laughs> <for a bit. laughs>
1: awesome. And, uh, in the meantime, where can, uh, where can people sort of find you on, on the internet? I guess you're, you're all over Instagram, obviously.
0: Yeah. Instagram is like, I think, you know, I tend to sort of like, well, if you go to Jake Lunt Davis, I tend to post, I like to post sort of quite regular little update, you know, like anything that's in the art book, um, Maybe I can post and add a little bit of extra information, you know, about some of those drawings. And then I'm posting, you know, in between, I'll post some of just my own stuff if that interests you. So (laughs) it's (laughs) like half and half. Uh, I've got a website, www.jakelang.com, which is like just a sprawling portfolio. It's 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 a bit, or I mean, I tend to send clients there to look at a specific job. You know, hey, have you done a storyboard on this? Yeah, go to this page. It's a bit sprawling. I just started an art station. I don't know why. I just thought maybe it might be useful. <laughs> 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 People do stuff on art station. I thought, am I missing out on that? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I, it's, it's interesting. I, I, perhaps on art station, I'm posting more a choicer selection that is less, it's easier to sort of navigate and say, Instagram, I don't know, it's very linear. You've got to kind of go through time. Mm. Whereas art station is a website and you can just have a bunch of images perhaps if you want to just see a select a nice selection uh, art stations uh jake l d art station I'm sure you can find yeah. so awesome. very but instagram's the one I like to sort of inter- i like talking to people if people yeah, ask a question it's nice to, to be able to sort of um, give them an answer or you know, you know i like Instagram as a social media platform mm. there we are.
2: and uh, of course Phil Shostak likes to share a lot of your work as well on his know, socials as well that, which is great.
0: And, uh, yeah. so sort of feeds I, don't, I don't really have enough to say on twitter which <laughs> is a mystery and I don't really, I don't know but I like the fact that Phil can sort of uh, push it out onto twitter. Uh, sort of
1: your surrogate twitter account in, a, in yes. way.
0: Thanks
3: Phil. <laughs>
1: all right guys well that's where you can find jake uh you can obviously you can find us at all the usual places force material.com uh we're at you know at force material on the various social media um channels you can also drop us a line if you've got a message that's too long for the uh for the the medians of social media to contain you can hit us up at force material at gmail.com let us know which one of your jake creations is your is your is your favorite um yeah jake man thanks so much for for joining us this has been great
0: no it's been a pleasure talking thanks for having me
1: all righty guys i'm rowan williams i'm bas McAllister,
0: and i'm jake glint
1: davis and you've just taken your first step into a larger world